Welcome to the On the Edge podcast with your host, Scott Groves. Jiu-jitsu specifically, what you, you mentioned being a white belt. What, what does that mean, and then what's the progression? When you walk into a, a first time on the mat, you are considered a white belt. Uh, you wear the white belt. You wear your uniform. As you get better, as you learn certain techniques, each instructor will have different requirements for you get to the next belt. My requirement is you must have at least one option from every position. So if someone's sitting on your chest, you know how to get out of there. It doesn't work every time, but you always, always, always go to your escape. You never have to think because as soon as you think, you're too late. So once you get to that level, uh, now you want to, they're your blue belt. Now, purple belt, you need to link A to B to C, armbar, triangle, omoplata, sweep, this, that, that, and never stop. Now you're purple belt. And then a brown belt would be the next level, and that just means more time, less mistakes, less, less space, less wasted movement. You're not moving your body for no reason. And then black belt is just you never gave up. You're really good at defense, and you never gave up. That's it. it there's no specific, like, oh, my goodness, if I can do this, I'm a black belt. No, you just stick with it. You never give up, and you're no longer soft. And so you you are a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, correct? Correct. And then what other styles of fighting are you <clears throat> in love with or proficient with or is kind of like your go-to? Well, like you, boxing's so important. That's how most self-defense situations start. So boxing was one of my first loves. A lot of head trauma in boxing, so then you have to learn to wrestle and bo- uh, do some jujitsu. Um, but boxing, uh, I like to kick since I played soccer and football. I can kick a 60 yard field goal, so I like to kick. So Muay Thai was more a better fit than boxing. Interesting. And, and going back to the, the belt system, because you are a black belt, what is the, the first day you walk in the gym and you don't know what you're doing and everybody's just killing you? If you're dedicated, and obviously skill sets vary and different gyms vary, but if <clears throat> if you're really dedicated, is it a 20-year journey to a black belt? Is it a five-year journey? How, how do people kind of gauge time or skill? They say an average is 10 years. Now, we have a 15-year blue belt in our gym. It's because you're not consistent. So if you're not consistent with anything, you can't be proficient at it. Um, so 10 years dedicated five days a week, 10 years straight took me 11 years. My first six months of signing up, I only signed up when I had a tournament. If I didn't have a fight coming up, I'm like, I don't really want to go train. I want to go hang out with my friends. Then I realized that's not getting me anywhere. You have to show up. You have to sacrifice your time with your friends or whatever else you want to do. And you got to just go. So 11 years for me. Um, but I've heard of some people get seven years. What is that? Seven days a week, three times a day. So 10,000 hours. So there's no specific amount. It's when your coach says you're ready, which is different than a lot of the other martial arts. Interesting. And, And I know there's different schools, right? Like most people who have looked up or have a passing interest in Brazilian jiu-jitsu have obviously heard of the Gracie family and how they started things. So is there different sects or schools or tribes of, of jiu-jitsu pra- practitioners or is it all kind of the same stuff? 
now that it's becoming more mainstream, it's branching out into different genres. Uh, there's wearing the gi with the uniform and the belt. There are 10th Planet Gyms is the name of Eddie Bravo's series of gyms. Um, they do no gi, so they don't wear any belts. They don't wear any long sleeves. It's just rash guards. So that's uh, a little bit more of a street fight. That's like a re- that's a little bit more of a wrestling match of something I would be familiar with from high school, right? Correct. No, no heavy lapels to grab or belts to manipulate people or yeah, anything. No pulling clothes. No pulling hair like girls. <laughs> <laughs> as you can see, I'm a no gi fan. Uh, I want it as real as possible. I want it to be a fight. I want to punch people and elbow people, because then it gives me give me a ch- more weapons to actually, you know, go against a big beast like you. I'm going to need every weapon possible to stop someone 200 pounds plus since I'm under 150 right now. Yeah. So are, are there weight classes in jujitsu? Like if you're competing, whether it's with a gi on, which explain a gi for somebody that's listening to this and doesn't know what we're talking about. Think of a karate uniform, long sleeves. It's like a bathrobe in pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> you basically fight in robes. Uh, I guess back in the day, everyone dressed like that. So then that was more realistic. So now people don't dress in suits and jackets and, and samurai clothes. Lo- yeah. They wear t-shirts and shorts. So now no gi is more with the times. Interesting. So this 10th planet, Eddie Bravo, their thought process is we're going to be a little bit more like the UFC mixed martial arts, you know, shirt off or rash guard or whatever the case may be. Um, and then there's two trains of thought. So there's kind of the gi, the no gi. Uh, what, what are kind of the pros and cons of training in, in each or, or either? Well, to be a black belt, you should be wearing the gi. If you want to receive ranking, it's in the gi because um, you're not wearing a belt when you're wearing the rash guards and the, t- and the shorts. Um, so if you wear the gi and someone grabs your clothes and you can still escape, imagine if you don't have the clothes for them to grab. It's going to be easier to escape. So it's going to make your defense a lot better. Uh, being a smaller person. And if I can grab your ankles of your pant leg and hold your pants or your jeans or your whatever, now you can't use that leg. So it's going to benefit you having those grips to control their hands and their legs. And now they're stuck. They have to literally get their foot back before you can continue to fight me. So that can help slow people down. It can slow it down for the person that's not athletic using the gi. Yeah, I've got to tell you, being a year into this and just kind of starting to get my feet wet and understand what's going on, as a dude who's 210 pounds fighting you who's 140 pounds, or even a couple of the women in the gym, we have a lady in the gym who's a brown belt and she's maybe 100 pounds soaking wet. (laughs) There is nothing more embarrassing than getting held down by your own clothes by a woman who's 100 pounds. And it's like, yeah, at the end of the day, I can manipulate my weight. But I'm like, how is this girl who's 100 pounds controlling me with my own lapel and my own pants? It's just, it's so degrading to be choked by your own clothes. Um, so the gi, the whole gi experience is very humbling for for anybody who hasn't done it. It's like, if we take those off, I can kind of slither out of places and I, can, I know how to roll around from wrestling. And you can kind of get up and box and kick things and do dirty things, but... Once you put that gi on, it's like you're just at the mercy of anybody who knows more than you do. So we, when you get to your level, are, are there guys that can make you feel the way I feel? Like are there, are there guys at a level of a second, a third, a fourth black belt, 30 years in it that can just manipulate you in a way that's kind of, kind of 
emasculating? More than you can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> what lessons from your 20s, from being a professional fighter and having a, a mixed bag of results, have carried over to business? Life sucks. Life hurts. It's painful. You have to do it anyway. So either you're going to be poor and in pain or you're going to have some money and in pain. <laughs> you're going to be miserable one way or the other. Life is hard. There's so many uh, people passing right now. So many people falling ill. Life's not going to be gentle to you. And jujitsu's not going to You just got to go through the motion and have the best time possible. Do what you love. And if you hate urine samples, don't do urine samples. <laughs> What's, the, what's been the biggest surprise since you switched over? Like, what's the thing you enjoy the most about being a business owner? And what's the new urine sample? Like, what's the point where you're like, oh, I can't wait till we're successful enough to hire somebody else to do that part of it? Uh, cleaning the mats. I, I clean the mats every time I'm on it, and I train twice a day. So I probably clean the mats three times a day. Yeah, your gym is impeccably clean. Like, you are neurotic at an awkward level, which I appreciate because yes. I came from that wrestling world where people get ringworm and kind of weird shit. So I very much appreciate that you clean the mat three times a day. But that, that's the thing eventually you want to hand off? I would hand it off, but I don't know if anyone's going to do it the way I want it. So that's, that's the new urine sample. I clean the mats every single day. So I come up with my routine, and that's my relaxation time where I sit and listen to podcasts. Nice. And what's been the, the most pleasant surprise? What's been the most exciting thing that you weren't expecting of starting your own small business? That's a great question. I've, I saw all this in my head ahead of time. I knew what was going to come from this. I saw the family feeling, the camaraderie, the new friends. Um, honestly, there's nothing that surprises me. I saw this all coming. And, and talk a little bit about the economics of the gym, right? Because I know that you have a pretty Sparta lifestyle. You know, if you, if you needed to, I know that you would sleep in the gym. Yep. Um, you know, you're, you're frugal. You don't spend a lot of money. Um, <clears throat> you're still wearing the same jeans from high school from 1995. <laughs> um, luckily, you stayed skinny, so you can still wear all your junior high clothes. Um, you got some Jordache jeans in there that I've seen you walk into the gym a few times. In. But, but knowing that you keep yourself at like a bare minimum of lifestyle, are you comfortable talking about the economics of a gym? Like how much, how many, how many students do you have to have? Like what's the overhead look like? Like, of course, because every business has to hit that critical mass of profitability. And since this is now that your sole source of living, like what does that look like for expense ratio and students and, and, you know, making a living? Well, there's a reason a lot, a lot of the gyms are going out of business right now is because there's too much overhead. So even if I don't have a single student, I'm just going to pay the rent for myself because that's where I'm training at. And I don't feel like going to another dirty mat gym. So, um, the, you find a place that has very little rent. It doesn't take a lot of electricity. The lights are only on during classes. Uh, I use the air conditioning, the heating as needed. I don't pay any employees. I don't even pay myself yet. So all I do is I need 30 students. And that's not that difficult. 30 students to keep the lights on or 30 students to like put a little money in your pocket and, and feed Jeff? Uh, I, I get a couple bucks. It pays my car payment. Perfect. So then I don't have any other bills really. Cell phone, car payment, insurance. That's it.
Perfect. And, and how much was the cost? You, you have what, about a thousand square foot gym? Is that fair? Yeah, 900 to a thousand square feet. Yeah. Very and, small. And, and to get everything, because it's, it's beautifully laid out. I mean, it's not a ton of space, but there's plenty of space for 20 of us to be kicking the shit out of each other. Mm-hmm. So a uh, thousand square feet, you know, walls are padded, floors are padded. We got springs under the mat so people don't get injured. It, it's very nicely laid out. When it was all said and done, soup to nuts, you know, deposit on the building, getting the utilities hooked up. You know, I'm guessing that was tens of thousands of dollars worth of mats. Like, what was the all-in cost to say, I now own a gym, Scott, let's go and work out? And you know what? This is great. Most people say, I can't start a business because I have no money. I did this with zero dollars. I had credit card debt when I started. I took on $15,000 of credit. I think I did this for less than 20 grand, 15 grand. I think I did it for, you can probably do it for 10 if you want to get cheap mats, but I figured let's get the top of the line. Uh, you can maybe get away for 10 grand, 10 to 20 grand. If you're spending more than 20 grand, or if you're spending 20 grand to open a gym, you're doing it wrong. You have to do it as cheap as possible and don't cut corners on your mats. Um, so 15 grand, a credit card. I did it all on credit card. It's all paid off. I paid off all my regular debt. I am now debt-free. I no longer work for somebody, and I have my own business. And, and that's one year in, in what is probably the worst year in the last 100 years to start a business. That's what they say. Why do a lot of those ex-wrestlers, you know, Randy Couture, Matt Hughes, a, a bunch of the people that have made a name for themselves in fighting, what is it about wrestling that lends itself to to that, you know, people getting to that highest level of fighting? Because you, you mentioned you had tr- you had trouble with one guy who was a was a really excellent wrestler and like more what, than what one, that? but one okay. that I remember because <laughs> it was the one guy that gave me the the mouse on my eye. I got a few huge golf ball on my eyebrow. He he faked a takedown, which he had been hitting that takedown over and over again, and he threw the wildest, ugliest overhand right. But my hands dropped thinking I was going to stop a takedown for once. Like, oh, I, I got it this time. Man, I got hit so hard. I, 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 went, I went between rounds. I went to the corner. I'm like, what round is it? Is it the fourth round yet? He's like, dude, it's second round. <laughs> or third round. Like, whatever round it was. Oh. I was off. I was, oh, man. And you just got to get back in there and suck it up. Like yeah. the time I broke my jaw. Yeah, maybe your trainer should have called it off at that point when you don't know what round it is. You know, you're sitting in the corner thinking you're Batman. Maybe it's time to call <laughs> it off. But um, yeah, so so why do why do wrestlers kind of excel at some of these mixed martial arts fighting sports? It is the transition game from the top to the bottom, from standing and boxing to the ground, and it takes the longest to learn how to wrestle. It's the hardest sport of all of them that I, in my opinion. Um, so when they have two years of wrestling and you have six months, you can't close that gap. So it's like a purple belt versus a white belt in jujitsu. You can't close the gap. So if you have two years of wrestling versus someone with no wrestling, I don't care what kind of specimen of a body they have. It's all technique. So if you wrestled in high school and now you're fighting, you have more wrestling than them. So it's just, just time. That's it. Yeah. Interesting. 
And and what's the different levels? Because I, I I did wrestle in high school. I was an average, like you know, I was kind of like a five hundred wrestler. I I never really broke out and kind of got it the way that some of the guys on our team who were you know state level qualifiers and went on to wrestle in in high school. So you know, I was an average wrestler on a state qualifying amazing team. A lot of those guys went to wrestle in high school, or sorry, wrestle in college. And then there's like a level above that, and then there's a level above that, and then there's like it's it's almost like it just becomes a different sport, right? And then you get to like Olympic level, Jordan Burroughs, all these kind of craziness. So what did you see <clears throat> the gap between <clears throat> excuse me, um, the gap between maybe the guys that you were fighting and then like climbing the next level? You know, is it is it a is it a one percent better? Is it a thirty percent better? Is it the guys at the top they're actually playing a different sport? Like like what what are the what are the levels when you start fighting pro? I think it's how many hours a day are they working? Are they working four hours a day and you're working two? Well, they're twice as far ahead of you. So it's just time. And now you have to run. You have to lift. You have to eat right. You have to sleep right. And it's everything all in one. Because if you're fatigued that day, if you're too sore that day, you're mentally weak that day, it all matters. So... Back to doing road work, doing things that you hate to do. And I'm sure there's things in your job. You don't, like you said, cleaning the mat. I don't like to clean the mat, but you have to do it. And if you take a shortcut, you're going to lose. Yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. I, I remember one time I, I jumped in an Uber. I, I ordered like a, the cheap Uber and this Escalade shows up <clears throat> and I'm like, oh, this, this is weird. So this Escalade shows up and the driver Six foot seven, six eight, six ten, something like that. Really tall black dude. And uh, so I jump in and I'm like, hey man, you know I gotta ask, like, what's the story? Like I ordered the cheapest Uber and you show up in an escalate. He's like, Well, I, I'm making some extra money because I'm starting a basketball academy here in LA and uh, this is the only car I can sit in comfortably all day. So even though it kills me on the gas, like it's the only way I can make money because I can't I can't sit in a Prius, I'm too tall. Uh, so we we I had a long drive and we talked to, about his basketball academy was opening up. And um, he played basketball for University of Arkansas, you know, Division One. Wasn't quite good enough for the NBA. And then he went to playing European ball for a while. And he was like a high school, college level coach. And so I asked him, I said, hey, what's the difference between you, who obviously had some skill and some athleticism and was blessed to be, you know, born 6'10", um, versus the guy who's like Lamar Odom, who makes the NBA versus the guy who like Dirk Nowinski, who's great, versus the Kobe Bryant, who's one of the best ever. And his answer was so shocking. And he, he just quickly, without even thinking about it, said, schedule. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah. He's like, in high school, you know, I was just the tallest guy. And then in college, I was like a physical specimen. If I would have taken my schedule more seriously and done the lifting and gone to bed early and got into the gym an hour early to shoot a bunch of free throws. He's like, I was like Shaq. You know, I shot like 55% free throws. But I was a big dude. I was always getting fouled. If I could have got up to 90% free throws, that might have been enough to get me into the NBA. You know, if I, if I would have if I would have eaten chicken breast instead of, you know, uh, uh, in and out cheeseburgers every night for dinner, may, maybe just that little schedule and those little tweaks in my teens and my 20s, I, I could have made the NBA. He's like, but you don't you don't figure that out until you're in your 30s that like schedule matters. Right. So it's funny that you're effectively saying the same thing. Like, how can you find a way to put in the hours and do the lifting and do the road work and eat the right food? And um, be more dedicated than the other person. Be more That's dedicated. It. Oh, scary. 